Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we're very pleased to have with us Christine Harada, who is the executive director of an agency that you should know about called the Federal Permitting Improvement Steering Council. And it was created back in 2015 uh, to help facilitate government approvals of major projects. And we're particularly interested in talking to Christine today because of the massive infrastructure spend that's coming down the pike now that Congress has approved the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. Um, hi, Christine, and thank you for joining Grid Talk. Thank you so much for having me. So in your bio, I neglected to say that you were also the White House Chief Sustainability Officer in 2016. Um, and you have an interesting background. You have a BA and MA from MIT and Stanford, respectively, in aeronautics and astronautics. Astronautics. How has that prepared you for the job that you now hold? Yes. Uh, so I would like to argue that that is exactly where I cut my teeth with respect to managing large, complicated projects. Um, you know, of course, building out satellites and airplanes has millions of parts, super high risk, you know, zero tolerance uh, for failure type of environments. And so thinking through all of the various um systems and how they're all integrated together, how they're all sequenced, how do you manage the supply chain, how do you manage the suppliers uh, and the integration and test of all of that is exactly how, candidly, I think of uh, doing large-scale program management. Let's focus for a minute on an area of your work, and that's with um, energy infrastructure, clean energy infrastructure, renewables, and transmission lines. In particular, transmission lines are notorious for getting bogged down in red tape. How do you assess that problem and how are you addressing that problem? Yes. So transmission lines, of course, to your point, can and do take many, many years for uh, permitting and construction uh, well before you know it's able to even be charged. Uh, a lot of the um, elements that can tie into or can certainly contribute to a number of those delays can include the environmental reviews and permitting and authorizations that are required both at the federal level as well as at the state levels as well. Just the fact that the project developer has to coordinate with so many different entities with frequently um, differing priorities uh, across different administrations, you know, just given the time frame uh, that it takes to be able to develop these kinds of lines and projects um, is, I think, certainly some of the major contributors to a lot of the times associated with that. So uh, let's talk about a major transmission lines. And uh, I went on your FPISC website, and you have quite a number of projects listed um, in worksheet fashion there. What's the purpose of that listing, and what it, is, it that, is that enabling the industry to achieve? Absolutely. So uh, our website, you know, what you're looking at there is the federal permitting dashboard, uh, which publicly tracks the status of project reviews and authorizations and provides that transparency and accountability for their progress. Um, the process includes 
all of the environment reviews and authorizations. So it's not just NEPA. So for things like transmission line, that includes rights of way, Historical Preservation Act or Section 106, uh, Endangered Species Act consultations, Clean Water Act, coordinating with the Department of Defense, permitting clearinghouse, depending on the location, obstruction, lighting and marking, etc. Um, and, you know, we fundamentally provide transparency, accountability and predictability for not just a project sponsors, but also for federal and state agencies as well with respect to uh, the progress of the project. Who, who would approach you uh, with a project? Uh, do all federally funded projects get funneled to you or how, how does it actually work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we are a voluntary process, which means that transmission developers and other project developers uh, are the ones that have to apply to work with the permitting council. Um, it's not that complicated. We're very happy to consult with your audience on how they can benefit from the process overall. Uh, and we'd very much love to encourage your listeners to reach out to us. You know, our website, um, as you mentioned, is fpisc.gov or permits.performance.gov. And our contact information is listed there. How many projects would you say that you're tracking right now, particularly in, in the energy sector? Do you have data on that? Yes, we are tracking 28 projects in total, over half of which is uh, offshore wind. Um, we, we have 12 projects that are currently on the dashboard within our portfolio. We also have two transmission lines, uh, Sunzia and 10 West Link, uh, that we are currently tracking and actively working on. How well known do you think you're known to the utility industry, energy companies, transmission developers, renewable project developers. Are you well known and how are you addressing that? I would say that we are relatively lesser known uh, and that is for a couple of reasons. Number one, we were only recently stood up as a federal agency in 2015 uh, when Congress passed a law called Fast 41 to establish the permitting council and bring together those agencies to help coordinate the environmental reviews and permitting activities. Relatedly, when the law was initially passed, um, there was a sunset on our organization. And so we were originally slated to go away in December of 2022. Thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure law, we were now just made permanent. So as of November 15th, 2021, we are the newest member of the federal family, the permanent federal family. And that is why I'm currently on um a mission, if you will, to make sure that developers and utilities, uh, RTOs, etc., are familiar with our organization so that we can actually deliver on the president's infrastructure agenda. To encourage them, do you have any data on how a, a typical 30-mile or 50-mile transmission line getting approvals has taken in the past and where you'd like to see it go, how long, it, how much time can be saved? Absolutely. I would say not, maybe not specifically for the, those types of projects, you know, in general across um, many of the other renewable energy projects like solar, for example, um, you know, we have found that we were able to decrease the overall time frame um, by upwards of two, two and a half years, just simply because of the transparency provided um, by the dashboard and the activities that this council takes on to be able to help negotiate and review and, and resolve challenges. How about transmission? Any idea on what, even if you don't have hard data, what's your hope? Would you like to trim 10% or 25% of the time? What's achievable? If I could certainly at, at least 10%. Um, I am a overachiever, so I would love to achieve something like 25%. Um, I think that certainly just within the federal agency's realm of control, 10% is a great target. 
working with state and local entities, I think that's something like a 25% reduction would be a great stretch target. Um, state agencies, state governments, um, you know, we have the authority to work closely with state governments and they too can opt into the process itself. Uh, and so that's something that I'm very actively looking to help coordinate with other states. During the Obama administration, after the last major recession, there was federal stimulus funding allocated. A lot of it went into smart grid uh, funded projects, but we find that a significant share of those dollars never got spent. Is it your hope that that does not happen with this $80 billion that's been allocated? Absolutely. Time is the enemy. Right. And it's the same thing, whether it be the project sponsor is a state entity and you need to spend, you know, the, the government funding, whether it be with um, American Rescue Plan uh, funds that we're also starting to see in other sectors like broadband and or for private sector project sponsors, just simply because you need to go out and get the project finance, you know, for your particular project. Time is the ultimate killer for a lot of these projects. And so that is very much the goal um, and the variable that we're trying to optimize for. Now, you're alluding to the fact that you're on a mission to get your council better known. Are you going to work with any federal agencies like DOE to try to get projects launched and maybe more proactively engaged in, in projects in their early stages before people find you, get, getting engaged with efforts. Absolutely. Um, whether it be working with the departments themselves, certainly with the Department of Energy. Um, actually, Secretary uh, Granholm and I just spoke this morning about permitting and how we might be able to work more closely together on a number of the projects that they're launching. Um, but similarly, you know, working with many other agencies, whether it be on uh, the Department of Interior and the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management with offshore wind or with... Um, Department of Agriculture and Forest Service lands, you know, when they usually, they can frequently also take the lead in conducting reviews for other renewable energy projects like solar fields, et cetera. So, um, absolutely. So, let me take you to one topic. It's an area that's on your website is bulleted as an area of interest for you, and that's carbon capture projects. Can you think of any that, that you'd like to see work with DOE in and inspiring? Uh, so we're currently very much in active discussion with the Department of Energy on carbon capture and utilization um, and sequestration projects. Uh, I know that there are also a number of states that have voiced an interest in not just carbon capture, but also establishing hydrogen hubs. This is an example of another area that we're looking to partner with both the Department of Energy and states. What about conventional energy? That That's an area that also is in your purview. Um, there's a new generation of small modular nucle nuclear reactors. Are you going to work with that? Absolutely. Uh, the NRC, the Nuclear uh, Regulatory Commission, is also a member of the Permitting Council. Uh, and we are we have not had nearly as many active conversations with the NRC with respect to small modular reactors. We've spent a lot more focus on renewables and transmission. You are in the renewables arena. You made uh, mention of offshore wind. What are, are some of the permitting obstacles there? And uh, it seems like you're getting, forgive the pun, you're getting your feet wet in uh, getting those ratified. What kinds of issues does a major offshore wind project face? Because frankly, if you've been to Europe, there are many, many more offshore wind developments that have, that have taken place here in North America. Um, talk about offshore wind and what, what work you're doing there. 
you know, uh, all of the off- the ongoing offshore wind efforts uh, are in our portfolio, and we are working very closely with not just all the federal agencies, but also the project sponsors as well. In that, this industry is fundamental. It's absolutely novel, and it's new for this nation. Period. End of story. And so, with that, we are all learning together about, you know, how with project sponsors, you know, how do we think about. Um, doing permitting for a fundamentally different kind of structure within the ocean. It is very different from oil and gas platforms where it's just a platform or two. You know, you can count on them and they're in the dozens. With offshore wind, we're talking about thousands of turbines in the ocean. And so what therefore is the overall programmatic and cumulative impact on the ocean floor or the uh, uh, the endangered species like, you know, uh, other marine mammals such as the right whale off the coast of the uh, the Atlantic coast of, of the United States. So educating also the feds on what are what kinds of alternatives are actually technically feasible right now, given the fact that we don't have much of a supply chain here in the United States. What's the lead time for ordering turbines? And so therefore, why can an agency therefore not propose alternatives like, can't you just put up fewer turbines and just use bigger ones. It's like, well, because A, that's not technologically available right now. And or B, the lead time is that we've already placed the order for those turbines two years ago. And so those are the turbines that we have to use. Uh, We're also starting to learn about the cable laying too, right? All of the the substations that have to be built offshore, you know, what might that look like for both from a construction, operations and maintenance um, type of perspective. And so therefore, what are the permits that are required for that? Uh, And thinking all of that stuff through. When uh, industry folks think of federal permitting, uh, it's more of a rear view look of what exists out there now um, and what kind of hurdles can the federal government throw in our way and how do we clear them? Uh, but we're talking just most recently about two new technologies, um, modular nuclear reactors and offshore wind, where government regulation and state regulation may not have quite evolved to where it needs to be. So are you, in that instance, helping to form and draft new regulation Um that make sure these investments take place in, in a safe, affordable, and uh, realistic way? I would say that we call the question with the federal agencies that are responsible for developing the regulations and the policies. So, for example, um, you know, as we think through what would the permitting process look like for carbon capture, we are convening the Department of Interior, Energy, EPA, DOD, USDA, to think through precisely like how, if the project is on this type of land, who would be the lead agency for that? What would all be the permits and reviews that are required for that? And again, just in helping to be able to convene those folks helps to help um, push those types of activities forward. We have the good fortune um, on the permitting council. So the permitting council, just to take a quick step back and describe it better for your audience, Um, We are indeed a unique federal agency that's comprised of the 13 federal agencies that are involved in the overall permitting processes, so agencies like Interior, Energy, EPA, etc., as well as the chair of the Council on Environmental Quality and the director of OMB. And so for the permitting council members... Uh, is com- the membership itself is comprised of deputy secretaries or the equivalent at all these agencies. And so I have the, um, the privilege to be able to work with the senior most leadership 
at these agencies to precisely think through these types of issues to help address and forecast like what kinds of regulatory issues are we going to end up running into that might impact your particular rulemaking agenda, et cetera. Um, and also just on an operational front, helping with resolving a number of uh, permitting timetable challenges as the case might be. In the case of the NRC, about a decade ago, they went through some internal uh, revisions of their procedures to try to streamline and make more affordable projects that that were off the charts in terms of expense. Does your council have any function in doing review of existing regulations to see if they can be pared back or changed in a way that's more realistic given today's technology and business climate? Um, not so much from a, a, you know, from actually having a hand in the regulations, if you will, but again, definitely with respect to calling the question. So in, in the case of the NRC, you know, with the NEMA, I forget exactly what the acronym stands for, and I do apologize for that, but there are certainly a number of process improvements, um, you know, that were required of the NRC and thinking through what the overall permitting process looks like and how they want to think about streamlining it, et cetera. And so that is very much part and parcel of the kind of work that we're doing alongside the NRC. And so, you know, as we engage in those kinds of you know, newer um, nuclear reactor type projects, uh, that's something that we'd be working very closely with them on. So you mentioned the constituents of the council these are heavy hitters in government. How often do you convene as a council in person or virtually? And uh, tell us what the agenda looks like. Sure. Uh, so we convene on an at least quarterly basis. And um, thus far, it's been done virtually largely because of the pandemic. And candidly, that's one of the benefits of being able to uh, do this type of work Um in this current technology environment, if you will, um, the agenda to date largely has been around thinking through what, you know, what are the actions that we need to take to collectively to ensure that we're actually delivering on the president's infrastructure agenda. So, you know, that can include um, both from a procedural element, what are the things that we as a permitting council want to do, just to keep in mind that we were newly reconstituted in September of 2021. And so since then, we've met three or four times. Um, and so there's a little bit of regulatory cleanup on our end of making sure that, you know, we're all completely aligned with respect to what are the sectors that we want to be working on? What are the, you know, overall regulations that various agencies are taking part in? Also reviewing the status of projects. What are the things that we're doing with respect to ensuring that, that we're all able to meet the various permitting timetables that we've set up, that we have established? Also ensuring that we're all executing on the, pre the administration's um, priorities with respect to environmental justice and better engagement with the tribal nations in government-to-government consultation. So a lot of things of that nature. How uh, closely is the White House watching what you're doing and who's your main point of contact at the White House to discuss these issues? Yeah, we are very fortunate to be working super closely with the White House. You know, we work on a near daily, at least weekly basis with the Council on Environmental Quality and the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, I also work very closely with the Climate Policy Office as well. Uh, and so the good news with this administration, we're all very lockstep uh, with both in terms of core values as well as the agenda and implementing um, all the infrastructure projects that we'd like to see through. Do you think the public is aware of this? And if I assume you're going to say no, what three or four things should they know about all this coordination that's taking place? Um, 
So a couple of things that I think would be really key for your audience to know on that front. Number one, um, this is not just about uh, making fancy announcements or whatever the case might be. We are act very actively working on these projects and ensuring that we are delivering. I anticipate that your audience has likely seen a number of announcements you know, over the last couple of months, um, especially with respect to the funding opportunities that are available uh, courtesy of the bipartisan infrastructure law. I think we've uh, released upwards of $100 billion of funding already to date. Uh, and so that takes a lot of very active management and coordination across all of the departments uh, and agencies that are involved with that. Um, we're also working very closely and monitoring very closely the advancement of a lot of the projects you know that you see on our website. So certainly from the Fast 41 perspective, the 28 large infrastructure projects that are there. Relatedly, we also share the website with the Department of Transportation. So a number of things that we're pushing forward with respect to EV charging infrastructure, et cetera, those things are also being very closely tracked uh, and managed through as well. How many uh, people work on your staff? Uh, on my staff, we are now at 21 feds. The staffing is largely split up in two big areas, if you will. So one is around active project management. So we work very closely. We have an infrastructure portfolio management team that works very closely with the agencies to identify what are the issues. We work closely with the project sponsors um, to identify any trends or challenges that are coming up by federal agencies. We review those with our federal agency sisters, um, as well as at the Permian Council level as well. And of course, on the technology front, uh, you know, a lot of this data um, requires a, a good amount of management and maintenance. And so we are currently in the process of making some upgrades to the dashboard that'll be coming out shortly. But also, um, we are uh, authorized with the bipartisan infrastructure law to stand ourselves up as a center for permitting excellence. And so um, enhancing both the data collection and analytics capability about permitting across the federal agencies is something that we're very much focused on. So just backtracking a second, you say uh, you've released $100 billion to date. What does to date mean? And what's the time frame? And what were the, was that $100 billion on all kinds of infrastructure? Yes. So the $100 billion uh, is from the bipartisan infrastructure law. And that is, I believe, within the initial six months, if I'm not mistaken, since the passage of the bipartisan infrastructure law. Uh, and that includes all sorts of no, uh, notifications of funding opportunities or NOFOs from Department of Transportation, Department of Energy, Department of the Interior, the abandoned wells, um, you know, uh, type of um, uh, funding. So the, the whole pie is in excess of a trillion dollars, is it not? Correct. So it seems like you're just barely getting started. So assure us how you're going to ramp up on this. So it's $1.2 trillion, if I'm not mistaken, over at least five-year period. And so, you know, if you divide that by five, that's still roughly call it $200 billion a year. You know, within the first year, we've already, uh, we've already, we've actually already deployed half the funding thus far. Um, and so I think we are very much on track with doing that. Um, I work very closely with Mitch Landrieu's team. Of course, he's the infrastructure implementation coordinator uh, at the White House. Um, and we meet with them very actively uh, on a weekly basis, twice, twice weekly basis to think through and coordinate all the action on that front. Okay. Um, I'd like to give you an opportunity for in closing to say what this work means to you and uh, the significance of what you're doing to the country. So I am 
I consider myself extraordinarily privileged and fortunate to be able to support uh, the president's infrastructure agenda. I don't take it lightly at all. Um, you know, I grew up in an environment where um, both my parents were in Japan during World War II, and I've seen what war can and does do to families on an individual level. And it is with that lens that I view our climate change crisis, um, that if we don't make this transition and now, I don't want my children or my grandchildren uh, to have those kinds of negative experiences. So it is absolutely imperative that we help in every which way possible to make sure that that infrastructure and the transition to a clean energy economy actually happens. You know, I want to make sure that we're putting boots on the ground, um, that we have the construction workers who are there um, and actually making the infrastructure happen. And there's so much opportunity out there, whether it be, you know, with shipyarding facilities to build out the offshore wind supply chain to build out the blades and build out the turbines and the nacelles or, you know, with develop with actually manufacturing the cables for both offshore wind and transmission lines for steel to make sure that we're actually implementing the steel in the ground as we're making the transmission towers, etc. Um, and so I very much view my job as contributing to the you know, the, the next generation uh, of the United States, again, the bipartisan infrastructure law is a massive investment. It, it is it is definitely once in a lifetime, once in a generation investment in our nation's infrastructure. And it's so much more important now than ever to have a coordinating body like ours tasked to ensure that the collaboration, the accountability and transparency of delivering on that actually happens. Thank you, Christine. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Christine Harada who's the executive director of the Federal Permitting Improvement Steering Council. The acronym is F-P-I-S-C. And if you add .gov, you'll get to their website. Please give a rating of this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And for more information or to subscribe, please go to smartgrid.gov slash gridtalk. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.